the worst, the lowest point was a debt collector knocking on the door and putting his car in the driveway and refusing to leave until I'd paid him whatever it was, two grand to get off. And I cobbled together between about 83 credit cards to my wife and I to get him off the driveway with all the neighbors like looking over going, what the fuck's going on over there? Awful. Hello and welcome to How Not To Run A Business with me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs, a podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to work for themselves. Each week, I bring you real, honest, and down-to-earth conversations about success, failure, and how not to run a business, all in service of you living a life you love and achieving your version of success. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of How Not To Run A Business. It's me, your host, Jeremy Jacobs. I hope you're doing very well today and thank you, as always, for listening in. I'd just like to remind you, if you haven't already left me a rating or a review and you're a regular listener of How Not To Run A Business, I would absolutely love it if you could do that for me. Also make sure while you're there that you are following this podcast and you have any notification bells set to alert you when a new episode comes out. I mean, why wouldn't you? I'd also love it if you could share this podcast with anyone in your life that you think would benefit. Any business owners, entrepreneurs or wannabe business owners or entrepreneurs. Share the love because my uh, goal for this year is to grow the podcast. So I'd love your help in doing that. So I've got a very amazing episode for you today so i sat down with my friend alex chisnell he is the man that was responsible for helping me to get how not to, to run a business off the ground because he has a podcast agency he's also got a very successful podcast called screw it just do it which got to number one in the uk and i think if i remember correctly he's getting about fifty thousand downloads a week so very exciting obviously go and listen to it but make sure you come back so we sat down and we talked about his journey from being cabin crew for Virgin Atlantic through to owning an amazing, successful podcast agency and podcast. And there's a lot in there. I'm not going to go into detail, but it was, I think, by far the most open, honest and fun conversation, no disrespect to previous guests, that I've had. Alex talks about everything and he shares some really intimate details and stuff that not a lot of people would share. So it's a really, really great conversation and it's it was really hard to cut anything out. Sometimes I'll cut little sections out if I don't think they're relevant, just for the sakes of time. But with this episode, that wasn't possible. So it's 55 minutes long. It's quite a long one. So if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing today, do it in chunks. Do it however you see best. Uh, a word of warning, there are a few swear words in there. As always, remember, make sure to be aware of who's around you if you don't want to hear swear words. So now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Thank you for joining me, Alex. How are you today? I'm really, really good. Um, fantastic. Yeah, just had a great day yesterday. End of the week chatting to you. Pleasure to be here. Well, why don't you start off by telling my listeners a bit about yourself who you are what you what you do that classic question in networking what do you do what do i do um so yeah my name is yeah alex chisnell as you as you as you well know um so i i own a podcast agency called podpreneur um i have a podcast called screw it just do it which we're just about to hit 500 episodes and six years 
Um, and I've known your good self going back probably, I'm thinking maybe seven, eight years, something like that, from when I was working with Virgin Startup, Richard Branson's not-for-profit. We were both mentors. I ended up becoming a business advisor and then a delivery partner for Virgin Startup, which helps entrepreneurs with startup funding and, um, and mentoring. And we started doing live events and you were my first ever speaker in Brighton. I was, yeah. When I was, I, I've, I've seen some photos, they pop up on my feed when I was a lot thinner and a lot younger looking. <laughs> so, wow. Um, so you, and you, and I remember you used to work for Virgin Atlantic, didn't you? Am I right? I did. Yeah, yeah, I missed that bit out. So Virgin Atlantic, I was talking about it yesterday, uh, 16 and a half years of my life, um, which was amazing. And, uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the world. It, it was a lifestyle, not a job. Um, mm. But everything comes to an end eventually. And I made the decision to, um, to leave under my own steam and, and I've never regretted it. I decided to, you know, always wanted to be an entrepreneur, always wanted to start my own business. And that's why I left ultimately took voluntary yeah. redundancy and um, kicked things off. Were you were you crew or were you office based, ground based? Yeah, yeah. So started as, as cabin crew. Um, I literally went from university to working for the BBC as a, as a journalist to then just having this itch to travel the world. And I'd spent my my years at uni going to America uh, as a coach, as a sports coach and counsellor. And it was just that kind of combination of the two. I liked going to America. I liked traveling. Um, so I joined as crew and I just worked my way up. I went as high as I could go uh, and finished up as a manager at, at, at Virgin um and left on the 9th of the 9th 2009 wow. a quick, quick question for you as your viewers will know you um obviously your listeners um how does it sit with you now having closed raised bakery down that's the only question i'll ask you by the way but... <laughs> i was gonna say who's interviewing who here um yeah no it's a good question actually i think i did a po an episode last year talking about like one year on and we're now what coming up to a year and a half. Um, there's definitely some residual. Um, I've been reading up a lot about the subconscious mind and its impact on our conscious mind and how they say we've got 90 95% of our brain activity is subconscious and it really influences our day to day. And I think I've spent a lot of time thinking about what the impact of closing a business has on someone, especially when you do it for 13 years. And I interviewed someone last year who pretty much followed a very similar journey. Their end, their, the closure of their business had happened very differently. But I think there's always going to be a part of you in the back of your mind that's going, am I good enough? Have I, I like, you know, we'll talk about this about success and failure. And that's why I started this podcast. Um, and it, and it's always this thing in the back of your mind. It's like, am I, am I really shit at business? I know I'm not because it was an external circumstance and I took that choice as a, as a personal choice for myself because I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and it's taught me a lot, but I have spent the last year, so it was just over a year since I kind of started again and created this new career. And it and it's it's been a real roller coaster. It's been very up and down. And I'm consistently looking at what's actually going on. What's what's what are these thoughts, these behaviors, these patterns of thinking that are influencing how I show up because I'm now a mentor and a coach for business owners. And I have to be one that shows up who's confident, knows what they're talking about and can make them feel like 
you know, I, I've got their back. And as you're known as my people who listen to me on, on social media and through my podcast is that I'm very real and honest and I don't tend to hide stuff. And, and sometimes that's to my own detriment. Um, but I do think <laughs> that we do need to talk more about the, the, the reality and the, and the shit that goes on in the background. And that's why I like having these conversations with people that I know will go there with that. Um, because yeah. there's a lot of bullshit on social media of people talking utter crap or only giving us a version of of what they want us to see um so yeah I, it's been a it's okay. been a journey i don't regret closing my business at all not one bit um yeah. but it has yeah it certainly had an impact um but you know that's life right you know we we live and learn as they say or some people don't <laughs> yeah so i would love to i would before we came on there was a yeah, we were talking about that. We could probably get about four podcast episodes out of a conversation with you because there's been there's so much. You know, you've got uh, your podcast itself, which is immensely successful, and congratulations on your five hundredth episode. Um, Thank you. And also the the people that you've you've been speaking to, and you helped me. Well, didn't help me. You you got my podcast off the ground. Um, for those who don't know, Alex, I worked with Alex um, at the beginning of last year to launch the podcast and you did an amazing job and it was a really easy, an easy experience and, um, and it really got me going, you know, set me up to go, to go forward. And just for clarity's sakes, I didn't leave Alex because he was shit. I, I took the decision because I'm a, <laughs> I love doing all this sort of stuff and I took the decision to, to, to continue on and I'm sure now that I'm going weekly, we'll be working again in the future. But, um, you know, from your own experience as, as an entrepreneur, you know, we'll, we'll, I'd like to just have a, a chat about that, about your experience. And, you know, you mentioned about you, you wanted to be an entrepreneur, you wanted to work for yourself and understand that and get your experience, which is very valuable. Um, but also talk about the podcast and, and success and failure. So let's start at the beginning. And you, you mentioned that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Say more about that. What, what drove that decision? Or um, yeah, so I noticed like the, the last few years it was at Virgin Atlantic, um, you know, I could do my job with my eyes shut, basically. And I noticed that like, instead of going out and, you know, not even partying, but seeing the sights, I was staying in my room and just researching ideas um, on a laptop, I've been to like the library in Oxford and printed off like loads of research on different things. And I just had this itch I wanted to scratch. And I think it was, you know, again, working for someone like Richard Branson, um, it only, you know, encourages you to, to think about different possibilities. Um, so when I did leave, and I'd always said I wanted to leave before I was 40 and I was 39 at the time and we were going through the last financial crisis before this one. And they just kept offering voluntary redundancy and kept offering more money and better benefits. So eventually when I left, it was like the opportunity to leave was the fact that my wife had just been made voluntary, uh, sorry, compulsorily redundant because they realized they could carry on flying an, aero, an airplane without needing someone on there to do your nails. So all 300 beauty therapists were made redundant. Um, and I just thought, 
there'd be a bit of symmetry about it if I went now as well. So when I left, it was like a year's salary and two years of free travel. And I thought, that's a pretty good deal for 16 and a half years with the company. Um, but, you know, as is often the case, as I think most or a lot of entrepreneurs probably find, that first idea isn't the one. You know, it, it never it never came off the ground. It was a, it was apparently a very similar idea that many people have who've had just had children, which is to have, you know, a play, a play, uh, what, would, what would you call it? Like a play cafe, you know, where you can go and have your coffees and, and the kids are entertained with various, and we kind of maxed out on the idea and there were different levels to it. And we spent our time driving around the country, visiting all these different locations, seeing how they did what they did. And I'd had an offer from, uh, someone in my family to fund it for a couple of hundred thousand and in the end you know the best decision ever made was not to do it and we didn't do it because it was really funny actually looking back because thinking about this only recently how good a decision it was because um, the person who offered the money was like great so you know we looked at the business plan and he was super successful you know multi-multi-millionaire and he was like so how many of these are we going to have and I was like what do you mean he was like, well, there's not going to be one. And I was like, oh, well, my vision was just to have one in Bournemouth. He was like, no, 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 no. We want 20, 30, 40, 50 of these cookie cutter. We're just like, prove the model and go again. And I'm just like, huh? <laughs> and, and it just shows now, you know, where I am now. And I was like, oh, I was just so naive, you know, at the time. And it would have been the worst decision to make if I was still there just, you know, in in a cafe making coffees full of screaming babies it would have been the worst decision in the world whereas he could see you know that vision this is what you need to do this is what's out there at the moment and this is how you can improve it so you know that that wasn't that wasn't the thing and then I suddenly panicked because you know a year's salary never lasts a year so I looked back at you know what I would what I'd done what what else could I do um, and it was a horrendous time to get a job because there was a financial crisis. And, you know, again, no offense to anyone who, who has jobs like this, but I couldn't even get an interview to get, to, couldn't even get an interview to be a manager of my local Tesco's or co-op on the corner of my street. Couldn't even get even an interview, even though I had, you know, degree, GCSEs, A-levels, all this experience as a manager of, you know, up to 25 people and stuff like that. And so I just looked at what qualifications I had and I was like, and what I enjoyed doing. And I had started a personal training course. I've never finished it, and but I paid for it. So I contacted them and they let me do it again. And I just thought, do you know what? I love sport and, and exercise and I love helping people ultimately. Um, so that's what I did. I, I retrained as a personal trainer and I started uh, as as a trainer for myself. And then ultimately, cut a very long story short, um, I specialized in sports injury and I ended up opening a sports injury clinic. And then I made that move. I suddenly discovered an organization that showed you how you didn't need to be that person who'd just gone out and bought themselves a job as an entrepreneur, which I'm sure you can, you know, relate to that. I wasn't just trading my time for money that I, I took that step back. I employed other therapists, other personal trainers. And then I had, you know, two locations and employing about eight staff. Um, and before that came crashing down around my ears, I thought I cracked it. 
Right. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Well, let's we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll have a little look at that in a sec. But I just wanted to highlight the interesting why well, i say i always say oh this is interesting it's interesting to me other people go it's not interesting to me it's interesting to me but um this this approach that people have like you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur you wanted to work for yourself and most of the time those reasons are obvious for for you know why people do that because they just don't want to work for a company they have a big idea they have vision they want to work for themselves they want that freedom that well i say freedom flexibility that's the thing that we think we have but actually it turns out that that's not always the case is that true for you like what was it that really made you go i want to work for myself i want to be an entrepreneur i don't want to work for yeah what it was was having people tell me what to do and i didn't like it in that i went for <laughs> And I can see it in my eldest daughter. She inherited all my worst qualities, unfortunately, like this this raging against authority, be that her parents or her school teachers. So unfortunately, it's down to me, isn't it? But it was, I think it was going, so going, going for an interview to be a cabin crew manager, which was a ground-based role, and, um, you know, with a significant increase in salary and all that kind of thing. And I, I was literally, I was told by the person in charge of the department the job's yours. I'm going to be interviewing you. You just got to turn up. And I turned up for the interview, walked in the room, and there were two females behind the desk. And I thought, that's not the person who told me that the job was mine and they were going to be interviewing me. Um, so it didn't go my way. And it just got me to question things. And I'd come to the point in my job that, like I say, I wasn't enjoying the job itself. I wasn't even enjoying the lifestyle travel element that, um, that I'd signed up for. And it was just getting harder and harder with the with the red tape um that comes with the job uh, when you work for any big organization like that to get anything any change through you know things that you you would say and i was looking for other opportunities within the virgin group and i believe it's easier these days but it was just very difficult i was looking at you know virgin records v2 it was called at the time other things like that to kind of let my inner creativity out you know so um, it, it was it was definitely you know a, a couple of things and it was definitely that thing that I wanted to be my own boss and you know answer to nobody which again is as we know has pros and cons that, that come with it because it can be very lonely when it's only you making the decision yeah yeah that's one of the biggest challenges isn't it it's um that's why it's always important to have a mentor or a coach everyone to have someone um to even if it's just having a very close network of of fellow entrepreneurs and business owners and people that you can connect with and social media is actually a very good place for that i've made some great connections through linkedin um with people that i talk to siobhan on a daily basis pretty much and um and you can relate to particularly if your partner or your family or people in your in your life aren't doing that they just they just don't get it unless you've done it yourself and the other thing i just wanted to highlight as well which is relevant for people listening you know I, I want to promote this episode as you know if you're thinking about doing it these why these conversations are very useful is around the approach to working for yourself because like your yourself you had that desire to want to work for yourself but you didn't know what you were going to go and do you went and did the research you went and figured it out and then on the other side you've got the people who are um you know professional experts in a particular field whether it's a lawyer or a um a doctor or 
I can't even think of anyone else, you know, a, a um, hairdresser or something like that. And they, they decide, actually, I want to go and work for myself, but I'm an expert in this field. And then they come to it with no experience of running a business. And as we both know, there's so much, there's so many moving parts and things that we need to know and be an expert in when running a business that I end up meeting a lot of people who are literally just doing a full-time job uh, for themselves with all the stress and without much of the advantage. Is that something you would agree with? You you see in the conversations you have with people? 100%. Yeah, mm. yeah, 100%. That, that was, I, I was definitely in that role um, when I... Uh, left Virgin, I, re, you know, re, tried to, you know, over-researched. I spent a year, I mean, listen to this, Jeremy. I spent a year, as Car my wife Carly keeps reminding me, I spent a year putting a business plan together. A year. You know, I bought one of these, you know, pieces of software that literally puts through all these computations. Whereas now I know, you know, you literally, a one-page business plan, you know, what are you selling? Who are you selling it to? how you're going to get paid, how you're going to get it in front of those people who are going to pay you, you know, just breaking it down to its most simple form. And I just overthought the whole thing uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And then, you know, when I did reach out to, you know, work out what I was going to do and, and retrained as a personal trainer and then specialized as sports injury, I literally found myself, you know, in a, I don't know, uh, an eight by four treatment room, you know, 10 hours a day. I remember one day, you know, seeing 11 clients back to back for 11 hours with no break. And I was literally, I was on my knees trying to, you know, uh, help someone with whatever it was, like a hamstring tear or something like that. I was on my knees in the treatment room with one arm, just kind of like flailing it around trying to help them. I was just exhausted. And it was like, you know, where does it, where, you know, where does this end? And of course, you, you make that mistake quite often, or I certainly did, is that you set your prices out too low. So there's no margin in it for you. I look back at what I was charging for my services. It's just peanuts, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I came across an organization um, that I then invested in myself and I invested in the business by paying them, funnily enough, to mentor me, to... Um, be able to implement the systems and the processes that they have. And it was like, it was literally like, I don't know, a, a, a solar eclipse or something like that, that, that suddenly it was like, wow, I don't have to just be me here. So how all the other people who have those businesses with lots of employees, this is how they do it. Right. Okay. I never saw me as that person. And then before you know it, you know, I had, I don't know, eight, nine people working with me. Um, and of course, you know, you then open up a whole can of other challenges when it comes to recruitment, retention, scaling, which, you know, that was that scaling bit, scaling too quickly that ultimately brought it all crashing around my ears. But, um, and at the time I looked at that as um, failure, but now I know that was, that was learning and I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't gone through that. Mm. Yeah, well, that's that's a nice segue. I haven't used that word in a while. Segue into the next part of the conversation. Another wanky word. Great word. <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk. If you if you're happy to, let's have a little talk about that because that's one of the the, the reasons sure. why reminding people who may not have heard, you know, this might be the first episode you've heard of mine, which is the reason I started this podcast is 
um, and why I call it how not to run a business is because it's talking about the failures and mistakes that we make on our journey. And, um, and that's why I'm having these conversations. So I'd love to understand what, what happened really. And, um, yeah, what, what happened that you say crashing down your ears, do you want to just give us a overview if it's not yeah. too traumatic? No, no, it, it was, but, um, it, funnily enough, uh, so let me frame it in that I, I started this sports injury clinic, um, in a leisure center. Um, and that was going really well. Um, I'd employed, I think maybe two therapists. Um, one of the mistakes I'm definitely made was taking the example too literally of going from working in the business to working on the business. So I literally down tools, put two therapists in there in my place and expected my clients to just accept that seamlessly. Whereas, of course, as anyone knows, when, when, you, when you have a relationship with anybody, be that like your hairdresser, your massage therapist, your nail technician, whoever it is, you see that person for a particular reason. And I literally leapt out of the business and went all in on marketing and, you know, Facebook ads and websites and all the rest of it. Um, and before I know it, you know, my therapists are messaging me going, so the client won't see me. They only want to see you. And I'm kind of going, well, tell them to like it or lump it, you know, and, so that, that, that was definitely, I, I took it too literally, but then I was offered an opportunity to open um, another um, clinic and that was down in Sandbanks, which you will know very well because I've seen you doing handstands and throwing yourself in the sea down there. He does that, everybody. He does that. Um, <laughs> and... Um, and this opportunity seemed fantastic. You know, they're opening a new yacht club they were going to have a, a gym. Uh, they were going to have a whole suite of therapists from chiropractors to physios to sports injury to personal training. Yeah, everything, a cafe, a restaurant. And I thought it was fantastic. But it was more expensive than what I was paying. You know, the, the rent was more expensive. Um, friends were saying to me, you sure that's the right decision? Um, do you know the area, you know, that well? And I was like, yeah, everyone's loaded. Um fantastic place and literally day one no customers day two no customers day three no customers you know and you know fast forward i decided to do what were those offers called that you i'm sure you can still get them where you you, you pay a fraction of the amounts and you redeem groupon like a group on about voucher so, and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah so so i so i just thought how the hell am i going to get people here in volume quickly because I t I'd taken on more therapists to, you know, cover this place. Um, and I, that's what I did. It was a local version of, of Groupon. So we had the volume coming in, but what I soon realized was that people were using it as a treat, which is quite often why you buy these vouchers. So people would come once, but they wouldn't come again. And the local population in Sandbanks do not stay there for 12 months of the year. They have second homes in London or the home counties. They have third homes in Mallorca or the Caribbean. So there was just no regular trade. So cut a long story short, I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. So I was taking all of the money from the, from the leisure center to pay the rent in the other place and the wages. And before you long, you, you, you miss one month 
for rent and wages. You miss the second month. And I now know it's not just me. I've spoken to, you know, like Jamie Lang and Ed Williams from Candy Kittens. The same thing happens to all of, you know, these businesses. You have these times. Um, but, you know, it just reached a crescendo and, and um, ultimately they, you know, it's horrible to say it, but they basically, you know, the, the person who owned it, who was a complete bastard, but it's a great lesson to actually learn. Uh, and I should have known it when I went in and he, you know, it's his establishment and he didn't even look at me or shake my hand. He just walked past me and didn't even introduce himself. And in hindsight, I was like, I should have picked up on that really. He's not the kind of person I could have worked with. Um, but he ended up locking us out of our own salon, you know, out of our own clinic um, with customers due to come in. And it was just a shit show, you know, basically. And then because I've been robbing Peter to pay Paul, uh, I've been lax on paying the rent in the other place. So then they, you know, billed me for a ridiculous amount of money. And ultimately the same thing happened, you know, um, but at the time, I'd started doing some mentoring with Virgin Startup. Um, I'd started to do some part-time business advisor work. And they were impressed enough to say, how do you fancy doing this full-time? Um, and then led to me ultimately being asked to be a delivery partner um, for Virgin Startup, uh, which I loved and was a great period of um, 2017. To maybe, yeah, maybe like coming up to four years that I did that for. Um, and I loved it. You know, absolutely loved it. So it, in the end, it led to a far bigger opportunity by having that that failure, which, you know, quite often we obviously don't, don't see things like that. It, it's only with that benefit of hindsight that you can kind of frame it and go, actually, you know, that's taught me so many lessons on, you know, how to treat staff, um, you know, how to uh, work with people, how to communicate with people um, and, you know, Although it was the worst period of my life, you know, I wasn't able to pay the household bills, you know, couldn't pay the mortgage, couldn't pay uh, the electricity, all of those things literally, literally it impacted every area of my life. It all came crashing down my ears. And the worst part, I did a podcast episode about this as a bit of catharsis, Jeremy, but the worst, the worst, the lowest point was a debt collector knocking on the door and putting his car in the driveway and refusing to leave until I paid him whatever it was, two grand to get off. And I cobbled together between about 83 credit cards to my wife and I to get him off the driveway with all the neighbors like looking over going, what the fuck's going on over there? Awful. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I mean, like a lot of relatedness in the sense of, you know, um, poor poor planning really i think uh, would you agree with that would piss be one planning. of what piss poor yeah. planning um yeah i'm, I'm gonna share performance yeah <laughs> exactly and um not really paying attention i mean i when we opened our retail store by the end of it when they when uh, we decided to close it i hadn't paid the rent for a year and they hadn't chased me wow. and i ended i ended up and I mean, I'm a cheeky fucker when it comes to that sort of stuff. I'm just, I was like, I ain't got the money. And uh, I know, I know the relative, I'm not a lawyer, but I know what I can kind of push. And so I said, look, we'll pay it back over a certain amount of time. You know, it all worked out in the end, but I learned a very hard lesson in, you know, cash flow forecasts, um, profit and loss forecasts, checking your finances, making sure you've got enough money in the bank. 
um, making, you know, all that sort of stuff, which we get this shiny object syndrome thing where we chase a new opportunity and it's all very exciting. And then you look back and go, oh, shit. And and I think that's nat- natural for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs. Do you agree in terms of that? D- just go for it and we'll figure it out later. But as we both know, that can bite you big time in the backside. Yeah, um, I totally agree. And I totally agree with that. Although the title of my podcast is obviously called Screw It, Just Do It. So there's, um, <laughs> yeah. There's a... <laughs> Asterix, mate, but as that, long as you've got but, a good but, but, plan. As long as you've got a good plan, and and ultimately, ultimately for me, what that really means is that you know what moment was there in your life or moments that led you to where you are today? Like, what decisions did you make that led you to actually doing that thing that you're actually doing now? Um, and yeah, look, for me, um, it was you know it, it was a similar thing, you know, of not keeping your eye. Um, on the cash flow and that's one thing that I learned from that organization I was with was that the first lesson was have three months cash in the bank to cover everything like business personal etc and that's the the shiny magpie syndrome so that's I have been guilty of that ever since you know from there until literally the middle of last year the middle of 2022 and then last summer I literally was, you know, trying to run the podcast agency. Opportunity came along to put on this big event uh, at Olympia in London. And um, before you know it, I was off track. Again, um, we were not in the position that I wanted us to be with. It was literally, you know, last year was a roller coaster again for me. You know, it crops up a lot, that, that kind, of a, kind of a phrase. And we went from having the best ever month last January to literally two months later having like, the worst ever month. And then another bad month and another bad month. And it was like, it's because you've been distracted yet again, Alexander, into not focusing on the bloody thing. So I was like, what is the thing? And I literally redid everything. um, And I was like, what is the one thing? So my favorite ever book is called The One Thing by a guy called Gary Keller. And it's just focusing on the next thing, you know? And for me, it's like, what, what, what is that? And for me, it was like, just get one new client, okay? Just get one new client. And the next week, what is it this week? Just get one new client, okay? But it, it was more than that, obviously. It was reframing the, the, the business model, which wasn't working. And all of a sudden, we've had, you know, the best quarter we've ever had, the best year we've ever had, and the best month we've ever had. And it's like, why was that, Alex? That's because you ignored all the other distractions and you focused on getting this one bloody thing in the business right. You know, and that's, as you'll know, you know, if you, if you focus on, you know, that one thing, getting the client that improves cash flow, which improves bloody everything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, um, it's this common thing that I see in every single person I work with as a mentor. I see myself, you've just shared yourself is we get, we get pulled every which way we get distracted. And it is a, there is a balance. Like for me, some people might look at what I do and say, well, you run a podcast, you're mentoring, you're building this, but it's all managed. And I need that flexibility and that, um, you know, I need that variety, but that's what I'm choosing right now. But if you are going to be, like you say, if you're going to be building a business or one thing, it's 
I'm not pulled off in a pulled off. <laughs> Sorry, excuse that phrase. It's a bit filthy. Uh, pulled off. Um, uh, you know, I'm not distracted by stuff that isn't actually. Or everything I'm doing is working towards one goal, and I've had to be very strict with myself at the beginning of this year, um, 2023, to really come back and focus. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned when I closed my business. I looked back and went, "What do I need to do differently?" And the one thing was sales and business development. I avoided it. I didn't particularly like it, and um, I always got someone else to do it. And and the patterns are repeating again, where I'm like, "Okay, like you say, it's get the clients in." get the money in, get the customers in, that will help with cash flow as long as you're monitoring it and making sure you know where your money's going and what you've got in the bank. And and it what it works is is quite straightforward as as you've just proven. Um and then it gives you it, I don't know if you have this but it helps me sleep at night. My cash flow forecast helps me exactly. sleep at night. Exactly. Yeah. Me too. Me too, me too, me too. It is the it is the biggest thing that that kept me awake last year and then it's again all of a sudden you're sleeping better um you're not waking and it was always like four or five in the morning a couple of hours before it's due to wake up you literally just wake up has that client paid because then the challenge becomes of course are they paying on time and all those kinds of challenges which Mm. you know something that we've been looking at lately to improve yeah (laughs) and that's and that comes with um time and experience and confidence and um yeah, I catch myself not. I've got one client who doesn't pay me. Like I've, they're on credit terms, and I'm like, why? Why are they on credit terms? Like, I'm, every other client pays me before I do any work, and that's my, that's the way I work. If you don't want to work with me that way, I'm not a fucking bank. Like, you know, and unless you know what that 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 was the wake up call, Jeremy. It's a friend friend of mine who ran an agency that were building you know websites that cost a hundred grand that they were selling to Joe Malone or Liam Gallagher, and he was like you know, how much are you charging for your prices? And I was like, blah, 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 blah. And when do they pay? And I was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you are not a bank. Why are you giving somebody who runs a $100 million agency 90-day credit terms in Mm. your business? That's Mm. ridiculous. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah. 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 Fix it. Yeah, exactly. I would would add, actually, from my experience of working in food manufacturing, that doesn't wash with, like, some industries. Like, you go to Tesco's, they'll go, they'll go piss off. But I think with people like ourselves who are working on a certain service base, or at least getting some payment up front, I'm very strict now, particularly with the mentoring and the coaching, you pay me before we get going. And if you don't pay me, we don't work together. Um, but I've caught myself even recently doing that and then getting stressed yeah, and then going, oh, why yeah. is that? Oh, it's all your own doing. It's nothing to do with the yeah. client whatsoever. So, you know, I, th- I thanks for being really you know, open and honest about your experience and what you've been through. And I've, I've certainly, you know, it's good to have a conversation to, to, you know, when you think something, oh, this should be done this way. And someone else goes, yeah, I agree. It's like there's a lot there's a lot we can learn. And I think I don't know if you agree with this, but um the the issue with entrepreneurs is we can be arrogant um fuckers <laughs> so i don't know if that was true for you when when i first started out i wanted to do it myself i wanted to learn so i wasn't interested in getting help i really wish i had a lot sooner um yeah. and i and i shot myself in the foot i don't know if you maybe say it in a slightly nicer way than arrogant fuckers but yeah, but I, I, yeah, I, I agree, and and I think it's because you're so single-minded and you're so 
desperate for it to succeed, um, that you, you plow on regardless. Whereas I'm, I'm the same as you now, and I try and instill it in my kids. I'm like, you know, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Asking for help is a superpower. You know, people want to help people inherently. Um, it, you know, yes, during lockdown, people seem to want to help each other more, and we seem to have gone back to a world where it, it doesn't seem to. But having that conversation yesterday with someone, a mutual friend of ours, Simon Squibb, that brought it back home to me that inherently people want to help people and people are good. Um, and I think you've just got to be open and honest enough to say, I'm struggling. Can you help me? And that could be anything. That could be, you know, your relationship with, with alcohol, your, your, your business, your relationships with your nearest and dearest, whatever it is, but just ask for bloody help. Don't, don't be so, like you say, arrogant about it and high minded or overconfident about things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And it's and that's the beautiful side of social media, the people who do show up. And that's why I like I know um, there's this there's this um, unofficial group of police people on LinkedIn who are running around telling people, oh, this should be on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. But when people share yeah, their struggles, my head in. It, it opens yeah. up a door for a conversation. I've had people I've shared about mental health struggles, about ADHD, about alcohol, um, uh, abuse in the past and struggles with that. And I've had people contact me and I've said, if you want to have a chat, have a chat. And even if it's a 20 minute conversation, just so you get that someone else, but I, I agree, like um, opening up and putting yourself out there and saying, I need help, I'm struggling. It's really, really hard sometimes. Um, uh, you know, I know from my own experience, um, and I completely agree. So let's move on to. I'd love to talk about now. You're running the podcast agency. Agency. God, I can't talk today. Um, pod. Is it pod? It's still called Podpreneur. I've, I've, why in the back of my head I've got a thought that you changed the name of it. You haven't changed the name of it, have you? Because it was going to, and then ah, everybody else why. told me it was a really bad idea. I was going to call it Sonicate, and then some. My mentor of mine, she said. Sounds like an electric toothbrush. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, does it? <laughs> and then once I told that to like my wife and everybody else in my team, they're like, thank God you didn't call it that. We all fucking hated it. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So Podpreneur, yeah. um, how, long, how long has it been? How, how long have you been running that now? Uh, it'll be, this will be our fourth year coming up now, be four years since started it so um yeah and it's you know it's a completely different beast to to what it was when i started again when i look back at what we were charging for for those services four years ago it, it literally makes me me cringe because i just thought i would have put myself in exactly the same situation than i did with the first business but you know i've you know hopefully learned um working with you know some fantastic clients um got a really good uh, pipeline of of leads that we're having conversations with um so it's in a far different place than it was even six months ago you know even six months ago um so i'm, I'm really happy I, I love what i'm doing my podcast is my favorite thing in the world that i do um you know speaking to interesting people and my second favorite thing is helping other people you know have that same experience you know yeah those are, those, without a doubt yeah i can i can i can um certainly uh uh agree in that uh you know you you help me to get to get this off the ground and um uh and supported me in that in that journey and it is my i could do this all day 
I love talking. I love talking to people. I love Me having too. conversations. I like that freedom that yeah all that there's a lot in it for me so i can completely relate to that and um you know your podcast has now been so how long's the podcast been going for six years did you say i think six it's years. literally six years to the day that i interviewed my first ever interviewee which was bizarrely stephen bartlett six years in yeah. january 2017 yeah ah well congratulations um lots of exciting much. things going on and you've in and you've in you've interviewed a lot of obviously you've interviewed a lot of people but some very uh well-known names Stephen Bartlett uh Lewis Howells I'm not gonna test my own memory of who but who else have you <laughs> have you interviewed and yeah and if you want to talk if you I'd be love for you to share about how that journey's been and how you've got to you know have these conversations with these people because it's uh it's a great podcast and obviously it's been going on for a long time and great conversations um yeah how how tell me a bit about who you've been interviewing and how and how you get these people alex send them a bag of cash yeah no do, do you know what it, it it literally is um it, it's as simple as asking them but i know you know it, it, it's not often that simple but it it just takes time like anything you know it's it's being persistent in asking someone and it's consistently asking them and sometimes you 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 hit a home run like um I literally sent one message on LinkedIn to George Cruz uh, and Dominic Day, who are both uh, rugby internationals, one for England, one for Wales, um, who started a CBD company called 45.com. Um, I really like their story as to um, why they decided to do that. I'm a huge rugby fan. And it literally took one message on LinkedIn. And it was like, when do you want to do it? When do you want to record? And then yesterday, I was up at George's house with my videographer recording that great guy and now we're having a conversation about making a podcast for him and for me you know that's fantastic that's that's like the home run for me to be able to, to be able to do that um but you know like everybody else or like the majority of people um you know it took me forever to pull the trigger and and make that step to do it i recorded my interviews i thought about doing a podcast for like you know a year um, finally decided to arrange some interviews, recorded them, and then spent three months thinking about, um, you know, what are people going to think? Are people going to like my voice? Um, is anyone going to listen to it? Um, and then two people listened to it in week one, you know, two people, two downloads, which I'm assuming to this day is my wife or my mother. <laughs> I was going to um, say. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I I spent the time, you know, something called like a dream 100 exercise, basically, where you, you're putting into a spreadsheet the ultimate 100 people that you would like to connect with. And for me, when I started it, it was, it was just because um, it was a podcast called How I Built This by NPR, hosted by Guy Raz. And there were stories of, you know, like the WeWorks or the Airbnbs, you know, these billion pound businesses, uh, which I found fascinating. But what I also found was that a lot of these people who told these stories, um, you couldn't relate to them so much. And I was working at Virgin Startup, but I thought I'd rather speak to people who were building these things right now that hadn't built them and, you know, taken the VC money and run off into the sunset. They were still building them. Um, so that's the reason I decided to, to start it and just built slowly. Um, but ultimately, as I say, you know, it's it's identifying who you really want to connect with and reaching out to them 
And it's easier, obviously, once you've got a platform, it's harder starting and asking these people because they can't see something. Um, you can't listen to it, can't see it, you know. Um, so I think that's, you know, but that shouldn't stop anyone from, from wanting to do it. You know, you, you can interview as I did the people I was working with, the startups I was working with at Virgin Startup or looking in your hometown, you know, who's got a great story to tell. Um, and then, you know, leveraging their networks to, to share the podcast. So you start to build an audience, you start to grow it. Um, and again, I, I don't know what, say, Stephen Bartlett's done to get to 12 million downloads a week but you know he, he clearly trying to take over the world you know i'm sure he, you know he literally be in a, like james corden he'll have his own tv show in america next or something like you can kind of see the path that someone like that's going on you know but for me i think you know the opportunity with podcast is that um as long as you you choose your niche and there's a niche for everybody there you're far more likely to find your tribe. You know, we're tribal people by nature. We like community. We like to belong to something. So give people a reason to, to tune in and listen and, and belong and be part of your community um, rather than going super, super broad and trying to appeal to everybody all of the time because then no one will listen to your podcast. And for me, you know, it, it's been phenomenal. It's been um, the best thing that I've ever done without a shadow of a doubt. Um, just the, the relationships that I've made and the opportunities that have, that have come my way. Um, yeah, I, honestly, it's been, as I've told you many times, unreal. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's um, I think the biggest thing I got of what you just shared was this consistency. Like, you know, you didn't, as you say, you started off with two, two listeners and now you're getting how many are you happy to share how many downloads you get a week or do you want to keep that information to yourself yeah so so we're up to again it's it you know it's it's um it's nothing remotely like uh stephen bartlett that's for sure and you also have to remember you know like a someone listening to your podcast is far different than somebody um scrolling past a post on on social media or a video on on youtube so you know we're up to um like fifty thousand now um a week you know which um super yeah it's just crazy you look one day and there's like a couple of thousand people have listened to you know uh an episode on a on a random day that you're not releasing something and you just think and, and do you know what put it in, i'll tell you what put it in perspective to me actually was somebody me going well, it's not great in the it's not massive in the great scheme of things but that's still you know we've gotten my show to number one in the uk um and that gives you an idea of you know, the numbers that other people are doing. Because you think, think, if I'm getting to number one with these downloads, and someone said to me, so, you know, and at the time it was, um, was it 15,000, I think. And I was like, but you like to, I like it to be more. And they were like, Bournemouth playing in the Premier League and they fill a ground with 9,000 people every week. You're getting more people turn up to listen to your podcast. And you're like, imagine all those people in a stadium listening to you on stage or whatever. And it's like, that kind of puts it in perspective. So, you know, to be able to share people's stories and, you know, help people um, in some way, shape or form through listening to that episode is, yeah, super powerful, I think. Well, it, you know, my mind's obviously nipping at the heels of your podcast with like my few hundred downloads a week. But that's the thing, isn't it? It takes time to build. And um, as long as you're enjoying the journey 
Um, I think that's the thing I see consistently with people I work with and also seeing in myself is this, um, you know, I, I made a joke about when I started my new business, I was like, right, here we go. One post on LinkedIn, right? Oh my God, this is what I thought would go in my head. I get like inundated with a tsunami of people wanting to work with me. And then the journey's taken like a hundred times longer and people give yeah, up yeah. because they don't get that response yeah. straight away, but it takes time. I logged into my uh, account yesterday to look at my podcast downloads and I was like, yeah, I'm happy with that. You know, there's no, it's for me, it's not, it's about, the feedback I get from individual people, which I've had saying, oh, that podcast made a massive difference to me. I really like what you shared there. But starting to see the numbers is interesting. You know, I've got like people listening from um, Mexico and uh, Ireland and all over the world. And yeah, yeah. It, it's really exciting. But um, I, the question. Yeah, it's very, it's very exciting. Sorry, no, I was, I was... I was going to say, when you do check and you can get into that hamster wheel that you literally check it every day so you don't see much progress. And I just checked ours um, last week for the first time in ages and it was uh, 180 countries. And I was like, geez, how many countries are there in the world then? You know, and it's like, that's insane, isn't it? So when you do see people all around the world listening to your podcast, be they on holiday or be they um, living in that, you know, that country, it's amazing. You've touched one person. I think it's, it's unreal. You, you go back, I don't know, 20, 30 years, you couldn't do that you, unless you had a TV station or a radio station or you had a broadsheet newspaper. There's no other way of communicating with people and getting your message out to those people. Yeah. And that, and that's, and it's the beauty of it, isn't it? And also the other thing which I've, I've, I've noticed is that people are either going to like you or they're not like people probably listen to my podcast and go, he's a right dickhead. And I am a right dickhead most of the time, but, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, and same for you, like people will either gel with you and like what you're about. And as you say, your tribe or they won't. And there's a lot of power in, relate you know having a having an audience that are maybe smaller but are way more engaged than having 12 million downloads which is insane i mean you know we're not multi-millionaires with stack loads of resources and ability to get all this you know that that weight but yeah it's um yeah it's an it's been an interesting journey so my final question and uh, conversation before we wrap up with you is with this you know we've talked about failure and you've mentioned the uh, word success a few times now you have well, you will have your own view obviously of what success is and um but you've also interviewed a lot of i'm going to use for people who can't see me air quotes of successful people so and it's a it's a subject that i'm really interested in so what are your what's your view on success and what have you learned from having conversations with what we would consider to be traditionally um successful people you know they've got lots of money basically and and they've done very well for themselves what 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 is your view on this this subject i think my views changed over over the years in in, in the 6 years i've i've been doing this um it's it's crazy because i i, I interviewed at the end of 2022 uh john cordwell who sold phones for you for I think 1.4 billion, something like that. And I, he was releasing, releasing his autobiography and a PR agency had contacted me and said, do you, do you want to come and interview John? And I was just like, yeah, you know, looked him up. 
lives in the most expensive house in London. It's a £250 million house in London. So I was just like, oh my God, okay. Got there and like, you know, the door, the mate, the doorkeeper was like, can you take your shoes off? Um, can you go and wait in the, in the, in the, in the waiting room? You know, which was, you know, it, everything was just marble and chandeliers basically, you know, and then I was called <laughs> up to go upstairs and, and interview John. And he was amazing, you know, and his story of how he literally came from nothing, you know, and the challenges he had, you know, being picked on in school because he was the smallest, he had ginger hair, they were super poor, all these things. Um, and how, you know, he's built a business that, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's a billionaire, but he spends all of his time campaigning for these two children's charities. Um, that is, you know, that is his passion. Um, and to do something like that, you know, you, it really puts things in perspective when you can kind of see that kind of wealth. But ultimately, I think success and, and the people that, that I've met along the way from, um, you know, like we said, people who've been on Dragon's Den, people who've sold their business for, for, for multi-millions, people who are billionaires, people who are super successful, um, like a fleurist who's just been on, um, you know, strictly in the in the final. People like that to a to a Jamie Lang to a James Haskell, who's you know I'm a celebrity. Get me out, you know, all these kind of people. For me, you know, ultimately it comes down to happiness. That's that's you know, and I I didn't think I thought like that, but I've kind of come full circle. I just think success. If if you're happy, if you, if you're on this planet and you're happy, then then you're successful. That's that's what it means to me. I think you could have, you know, the, the richest house in London. You could have gone out and bought a boat and a helicopter, but ultimately, if you're still miserable, what's that actually done for you? You know, if you're given these opportunities, you know, you know what you know what makes you happy, and that's you know something I kind of framed last year, and you know what you know what actually lights me up. What do I enjoy doing? And I made a whole list, and all of you know, so many of these things I wasn't doing. So I've gone out and I've done a load of those things in like the last six, seven, eight months, and I've got plans already in place this year, dates booked to do things that make me happy. Um, because you live your whole life on this planet, we get one go around, and, and if, you, if you're miserable, it's not a successful life, is it? That's what I kind of equate it. You know, what is a successful life? And I just think it's to be happy, to bring happiness, whichever way you frame that. Um, and, and, you know, again, going back to Simon yesterday, it kind of really humbles you and makes you feel inadequate when you speak to someone like him who's all about helping other people. But as he said, he's in that position because he's built a successful business, sold it for more money than he could ever spend. And he's dedicated the next chapter of his life for helping people. So I think that's an amazing thing to do. I'd love to be in a position to do that myself someday. But at the moment, it comes back to, I think, you know, build something yourself that could be the vehicle that helps other people. Because until you sort yourself out, it comes back to that thing that isn't, if, if you don't look after your own health, how can you help anybody else? Yeah, yeah, you can't pour from an empty cup. <laughs> Another That's one of those one. tossy uh, phrases that people bend. Uh, put your oxygen mask on first. A nice little... <laughs> yes, I know that one very well. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, and yeah, it's, I, 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 um, I relate a lot to what you share and that success is happiness and everyone has their own view of it. And, you know, those people out there who are 
um, running their lifestyle business and they get to pick their kids up from school and they get the freedom and flexibility. They're not interesting on social media and on the media and on TV. We want to see the people who have got all this money and, you know, Stephen Bartlett and Richard Branson and all this sort of stuff. And, and actually the stats are so stacked against us to be in that position. Um, and so it's really nice to have these conversations with people to bring it back down to reality because I, I i if someone offered me 10 million quid i'd bite their hand off i would want always want more money i'm not going to sit here and pretend i don't um and my ego doesn't want that and it's bringing yourself back down in the moment because you know as we've both experienced having started businesses and then ended up having to close them and in technical terms failed even though we interpret that word differently you know we it's we still have we i think we both people still have this thing where they're like am i good enough am i successful enough am i doing enough and we get pulled every which way and it can be a daily or an hourly battle sometimes and that is the life i guess that we've signed up for when we're entrepreneurs because we've got it in our face all the time you know, we can't, unless you're going to shut yourself off from social media and media and not talk to anyone again, you're not going to do very well in business if you do that. But this is what it's about. People wanting more money. How successful are you is how much money you've got. That tends to be the, the what has been the status quo, isn't it? Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a continual journey of bullshit in my opinion sometimes you know <laughs> fun and games but um been, yeah, it's, it's been cathartic yeah. to talk about it it's been cathartic i've enjoyed it good well thank you for your time obviously um and your your um vulnerability and your honesty and um you know i've got a lot from this conversation it's uh i've i've spent a few months in my spending a lot of time by myself and this little voice in my head isn't particularly helpful sometimes. So it's nice to connect and talk about this sort of stuff. And I think it's, uh, it will provide a lot to people that um, will listen. So um, thank you very much. And how uh, let's find out how we can get hold of you, Alex. So your podcast is called, uh, it's called screw it. Just do it. No, screw, yeah, it's correct. Oh God, have I got that, I've yeah, got that right. You got it right. You got it right. Screw it. Just do it. So it can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, I'm at Alex Chisnell, A-L-E-X-C-H-I-S-N-A-L-L on everything social media wise. Um, and the business is called uh, Podpreneur, the podcast agency. Fabulous. Well, go and check out Alex. And if you want to start a podcast, then go and have a conversation with him. He will be able to help you. And um, yeah, all that's left to say is thank you very much, Alex. Absolute pleasure. Always enjoy talking to you. Thank you, Jeremy, for uh, inviting me on your show. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. This has been How Not to Run a Business with your host, me, Jeremy Jacobs. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding. <laughs>